0: listener.
1: So the battery seems like such an important part of an EV, but I don't really know a lot about that. What makes a good battery when it comes to an electric car, and how do I look after it so it actually lasts? Car enthusiasts would talk cylinders, capacity, horsepower and economy, but an EV power plant, the battery is new territory for many of us, so it's a bit of a journey of discovery. The good news is, the tech in them just keeps getting better. Is it kind of like a mobile phone? Like they say not to leave them on charge all the time, that it's it's good to drain the battery then fully recharge. But what sort of a lifespan do they have and do certain conditions affect them differently? familiarity breeds contempt they say but in this case it's actually going to create confidence to get to a point where we understand the basics of EVs in the same way that we perhaps understand the fundamentals of ICE vehicles. Getting to know the battery is a big one. Hi, everybody. Greg Rust with you for another edition of What's Under the Bonnet. Welcome. Thank you for the feedback, too, on some of the first eps we've done here on Listener. You can find them in the library, and we tackle all kinds of different themes each time around, all powered by and in partnership with the great team from Car Sales, including my co-driver, actually, she's at the wheel more than me, Nadine Armstrong. Hello and welcome. Rusty, how are you? What did you drive in today? Come on.
2: Porsche Taycan, actually. Oh, mega drive. mega envy. Yeah, it's the cheapest Porsche Taycan you can get behind the wheel of, actually. So, uh, yeah, there's a win for it for anyone looking for a Taycan. <laughs>
1: Sid, with a smile, clearly enjoying the drive.
2: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But I'm really keen to talk about batteries. I mean, the battery really is, you know, think about the beating heart of an electric vehicle. And it's a differentiating factor for many models. So, it's pivotal in performance outputs, charging capabilities, and... The all-important driving range.
1: I love that. I love that link or analogy. It's the beating heart of an electric vehicle. So, thinking about the battery in your smartphone, for example, as uh, we, were, you know, our listeners were talking about at the top of the show, that's a great analogy, isn't it? Size, storage capacity, battery life. It's it's not too dissimilar to the way that we think about and talk about electric vehicles, and potentially how we'll adapt, I guess you could say, going forward. The mobile phone, our dependency on it has forced us to kind of incorporate charging habits into our daily lives.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and funnily enough, for someone who suffers range anxiety that I've admitted that before, I also stress out when my phone battery is anything <laughs> less than oh, about 30%. You know, I've got cables and cords everywhere. I know which cafes have charging pads and, and I've got even one of those little portable charging things, you know, for really dire situations. So I understand that you know, there are habits that we need to bring into our lives and and I'm not quite there, but
1: You've got a real Taycan downstairs. My portable charging pack for my mobile phone is actually in the shape of a Taycan. That's how close I've uh, come to driving one. I will (laughs) steal that car of yours today at some point (laughs) before you have to give it back. If you've not joined us before, we have lots of different segments on what's under the bonnet, including meeting an EVer. Mark Cripsy is someone who's done a bit of a backflip on his mode of transport.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we're also talking to co-founder and CEO of Rove. This is an Aussie EV startup with a keen focus on the electrification of utes. That's peak Aussie.
1: Let's launch straight into our first guest today, who is well-positioned to talk all things EV. That's because he's the Senior Manager, Future Mobility and Government Relations for Hyundai Motor Company. Scott Naga, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Hey, just before we get into your role and what you do there, you have been on the road to various parliament houses, national and state, haven't you? Yeah, we had a great week down in, in uh, federal parliament last week and also
0: the last sitting, um, the climate change bill got through last week but also the no FBT on EVs got through the Senate last week so we had senators driving the Ionic 5 electric car and from here the studio we head straight across the New South Wales parliament to present about future mobility there so it's, it's non-stop at the moment. It's a,
1: a big step change from how it was the last couple of years that no FBT thing has made both Nadine and I raise our raise our eyebrows. Just just go into that a little bit in more detail because people listening will be very interested in that. Yeah, so businesses running cars and, and giving people take home
0: for their, their vehicles will get a chance to, I suppose, not have to pay the FBT on those vehicles, which is a considerable saving. And some of the figures I've heard is around 10 grand saving per vehicle. Wow. So that's, that's quite considerable if you're running a, a large fleet of vehicles where people are taking them home.
2: Just the beginning of some incentives that we sorely need, right?
0: It is. as the beginning. It's a long road yet. We're about 10 years behind just with infrastructure and just with the conversation.
2: Scott, it's it's quite a lengthy title, Senior Manager, Future Mobility and Government Relations for Hyundai Motor Company. Give us a little uh, insight into what that actually means. It feels like you wear multiple hats. And as you said, you know, a part of that is talking to government relations.
1: Does it go over the other side of the business card too, mate, or you get it all, it's all in <laughs> one card? Yeah, we can get it all on one <laughs> side. Totally, there's um,
2: an acronym for that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, not, not yet. I'm sure someone can make it up. Uh, it's really ensuring that the industry and the government's ready for the technology that's coming. We know exactly what's happening overseas when internal combustion's banned in Europe and some of the Scandinavian countries are from 2025, and we look at um, the rest of, of Europe from 2030 to 2035. So what are we doing in Australia? Given that they've had a 10-year head start, we can't supply everything the market needs and we can't supply every platform that people want. So how do we ensure there's great competition here in Australia without losing consumer choice. So what we say and what we really push hard for is we want to encourage our competitors to come here and bring affordable EVs and hydrogen fuel cell buses and cars and trucks and trains and things of this market. So there's this great range of affordable EVs in the UK, the right-hand drive. How do we encourage those to come here?
2: Scott, maybe if we could uh, step back to just batteries. At the start of the show, we talked a little bit about batteries and and Greg and I talked about thinking about how we've adapted, you know, we've got our mobile phones in our hands all the time. And that was a learning for people to have those charged, you know, how big a battery do we need? What sort of capacity do we need? How many photos are we storing on our phones? And I feel like car batteries, you know, to talk in a similar way. So is it is it similar to that in terms of how we should treat our car batteries?
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's one of the things that people think, I can't live with that, but you can live with a mobile phone, you charge it when you need it. Cars are a bit different. You'll go home, you'll plug them in at home, or you'll plug them in when you're out and about. And I've been driving EVs for a number of years and Back when I was writing about cars and testing them for NRMA 10, 15 years ago, we had the first Mitsubishi IMEVs in Australia as part of a, a foundation partnership, and those cars had a one hundred and sixty k range. I remember getting in the car at, at North Strathfield, there at the old Arnott's factory where NRMA was based, and getting about sixty k's down the M four before it needed to be towed by by an yeah. NRMA tow truckers. You know, <laughs> the whole whole thing of the faster you drive, the more um, the more energy you're using, and sitting on the M four at one hundred and ten wasn't the best way for that vehicle, but. The technology's changed and evolved so much since then with lithium ion polymer batteries. We've gone from having 20, 30 kilowatt hour batteries up to having 70, 80, 90 kilowatt hour batteries that are very efficient. They've got cooling systems in and there's that many computers that control all the parameters of hot, cold, undercharge, overcharge, and how the energy is distributed in the best way to propel the vehicle.
1: What's good and what's bad for them then? I mean, Nadine and I, first thing I did when I walked into the studio today, Nadine was laughing at me because I'm running around going, where can I plug my phone in and charge? So, uh, but I mean, it is a similar thing because of, uh, in this country, it's maybe not so bad overseas, but, but range anxiety is still a big thing here. People don't know, they don't understand about them. So how do we look after them? What's good for a battery and what's, what's bad for them?
0: Yeah, we don't let them. So, even when the car stops dead and there's, there's no energy left in the vehicle, it's still not 100% dead in the car. There's still range left below that. So, we protect the the very low voltage, uh, very low charges in the battery, which iPhones hate as well. Mm-hmm. We also protect the highs. So, even when we take it up to 100%, there's still excess storage above that, which we don't let the batteries charge any more than that. Also, the highs and lows in the Northern Hemisphere, we have um, heaters inside the battery. So, you're not reducing your range when you're driving them. And in Australia and other countries, we've got cooling systems. So, the battery's got a cooling system that feeds right through the internals of the battery. It's hooked into the air conditioning system, so even when the car's turned off and you're charging, say, in the middle of... or out, out in the, the sticks in, in South Australia somewhere or in a remote area, and it's 50 degrees and you're putting 350 kilowatts in at 400 volts, the cooling system will switch on, chill the battery um, while it's charging. So we protect the highs, temperatures, the low temperatures, and also we protect the um, over and under charges, which your mobile phone can't do because they're not liquid-cooled, and everyone thinks that have got to charge your phone to full every night. If your boss provides your phone and you want it be replaced every three years or four years, charge it full every night and it <laughs> keep running flat. <laughs>
2: hot, yeah. tip, hot tip, coming in if, there. If you,
0: if you paid for it for your own money, um, Don't. No, never let it get never let it go to full. So. <laughs> but everyone's just jumping in a car and just charges it to full every time. We go home and you're, you're charging up. You probably noticed on the last couple of ISO updates on phones that they actually slow the charging down and say that your phone will be fully charged at approximately this time in the morning. That's to try and protect the
1: battery. Can they be? replaced i can remember being a young fella fresh out of high school not being very wise in the way that i drove my ice vehicle at the time horrible beige here uh, holden gemini that's a story for another day but you could get a reconditioned engine and replace it what about batteries can you replace them when should you replace them and so on
0: yeah, we don't see a time when we'll need to replace the whole battery. And everyone says that. we, Our cars and a lot of our competitor cars, we've got a five-year warranty on the car and eight-year warranty on the battery, but they'll last considerably longer than that. The only time they need to be replaced is, is during a recall. And we had one recently where we replaced uh, about 105 batteries, but we recycled 99.2% of the batteries. When we look at a battery, we can diagnose each individual cell, and there's usually you know, between 180 to 250 cells in the battery. Those cells come together to make a module. The modules come together to make a pack. The car might have ten or twelve packs in the battery. We can diagnose each individual unit and replace modules or cell uh, modules or packs as required. And that's so I'm assuming they're standard. Them. Yeah, I to change them. There's so many other precious materials in the battery, not just the cells themselves, which have copper and lithium and cobalt and other things. You've got the battery cases are expensive because they make up part of the shades and they give the vehicle its, its structural rigidity. They're not there to be thrown away every time you know things start to um, mm. lose their, their full charge. You, you basically upgrade as required. It's a whole new, it's kind of changed, the whole, it's a whole new world of thinking about it when you look at an internal combustion engine, wears out over 100 or 200,000 k's and you get, you know, you redo the rings or the bearings, whatever you need to do.
1: <laughs> Batteries is actually diagnosing. I said at the top of the show today, there is some good stuff in the pipeline. Where to next in terms of battery tech? What can you tell us?
0: Yeah, there's some great stuff happening now as we start to move up to over 100 kilowatt hours of, of energy within the battery, and that's lithium-ion polymer batteries, but we look at solid state, and that's no one's quite perfected it yet, but everyone's working on it. Hyundai Motor Group, which encompasses Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis, have teamed up with a company in Massachusetts and the States that are, are pretty close, although they're saying they're, they're right on the, on the mark. Uh, to look at where we go with solid state now, they, they say they can, um, for better energy density, they can charge quicker and last longer. But have they got the durability? Have they got the sustainability? Um, What precious materials or metals or or resources they need to make the battery? So that's all the things you need to look at. And is it cost-effective to do it that way? But everyone's looking at the next. And that's probably where hydrogen fuel cell comes into it too. Where does that sit amongst the the zero emission transport for the future? Um, From a Hyundai sense, where we make light cars, trucks, buses, trams, trains, ferries, and one of the biggest shipbuilders in the world, we see everything that's petrol today will more than likely be EV in the future everything that diesel today will more than likely be fuel cell in the future. So it's, as the, the mass gets heavier, that replacement for that, that heavy mass of diesel propulsion is, is done by fuel cell.
2: It is a bit of a never ending story with technology evolving so rapidly. I mean, we're always learning on this show and hoping to teach others. So I'm really glad to hear you saying that as well in terms of things are changing and we're, and we're seeing you know exciting things for the future.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's, I mean, the, the nano fuel cell technology is coming and the new polymers for batteries and then new when you look at all the different solid electrolytes for batteries as we move forward and, and how they're packaged and, and the weight of them and the cost of them, it's an incredible time. We look at the evolution of the internal combustion engine and we haven't got too many big advancements in the last five to 10 years. We can't make petrol and diesel engines any cleaner than what they are today. We've been working on battery tech and hydrogen fuel cell tech for 25 years at Hyundai and I was actually, I was crash chasing in Korea when I was still with NRMA and ANCAP um, in 2007 and eight, and I stumbled across the a fuel cell car I was a Kia Mojave, the big kind of full-size SUV, and crawled underneath during a lunchtime break, and I got dragged out and yelled out for a while about what I shouldn't have been looking at in an R&D <laughs>
3: centre.
0: Uh, came back, got the bug, and eventually moved to next I could see where they are heading with this tech, and it's, it's really what is a replacement for that, for all kinds of tech, whether it's road, rail, or marine, or, or aircraft in the future, and, it, and it's going to be EV and, and hydrogen fuel cell.
1: What about end of life for batteries? Because you do read some stuff around startup companies that are doing things uh, with them. G- give us a, a bit of an insight on that as you deal with government and so on. Yeah, we've got people
0: ready to do that now. We've, we've got a system in place. And it's really, I mean, not that we're going to have a recall on batteries, but it's good to actually put the system to the test in Australia. But when you look at batteries as a whole, when they start to get down to that 60, 70, 80% over a long, long period in the vehicles across all brands, people want to pick them up and put them into shipping containers and make, like a, I suppose, a more economic version of a Tesla mega battery um, to help maintain Mm -hmm. frequency in the grid. And that's one of the big things, people looking to recycle all types of materials. Uh, In that case, with so much renewables going into Australia, how do we absorb that excess energy, whether it's directly into a car or into these stationary batteries? One thing the grid hates is when you've got tens of thousands of houses in an area and suddenly the clouds come across the sun, And how do you maintain that frequency to keep the lights on? So bigger batteries as storage buffers work really well for that.
2: Hyundai has some great EV products already on the market, um, arguably quick quick to market for the Aussie market. Uh, Ionic 5, we love. It's won many awards in the car sales group as well. Hyundai Kona Electric is a great solid SUV offering. What other products are coming? Uh, What sort of things can we see from Hyundai?
0: Yeah, there's some really incredible stuff. We've actually got our Ioniq 6 uh, hot test vehicles, engineering vehicles at work at the moment, and uh, going through and, and looking at what's required there to ensure that they've got the, the suitability for Australian roads. We've just launched three Genesis, so under the Hyundai Motor Group banner, you've got Hyundai, Kia and Genesis. We don't talk about the red team, they're competitors here in Australia. <laughs> um, but with uh, Genesis, they certainly sit within our office and, and we see the cars all the time. And We launched three electric Genesis last over the last two weeks. GV70 is our medium-to-large SUV. That's We've already got that car in twin-turbo V6 all-wheel drive. Now it's going all-wheel drive zero emissions or EV, which is incredibly quick. And then we've got the large luxury limo, which is the, the G80, the kind of the large one. We've got that car with premiers and different people now as the, the VOP transfer cars, but that goes full electric and all-wheel drive. There's, there's a lot of opportunities for that zero-emission um, luxury car. Envy, mate. It's, uh, I can hear it in your voice. You really hate your job, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, t- it's tough. And, you know, and then when we start, you know, we've got Nexo Fuel Cell here as well, and then we're, we're working on fuel cell trucks and trams and trains and and buses and all kinds of things. And, you know, what can we do here and what can we build here with local engineering and manufacturing? So, It's
1: been fantastic to get you on the show. You were on pole position we were going to get Scott on for episode one but you got the spicy cough are you back to full charge now are you good yeah back to full
0: charge I was in an event and, and I sat with a, a leader of a state and I'm not going to blame him for giving me <laughs> the, the spicy cough but um, I wasn't yeah I wasn't amused because I was heading to Bali a couple of weeks after so as it slightly spread through the family we are getting quite nervous so it's great to come in it's also you know from a Hyundai side, we're not successful with our strong competition. So we, we encourage uh, to have our competitors here and, and look at Australia, look at the opportunities here. And if you've got it in Europe, especially in the UK, but the most of the work's been done, we do have Australian RDRs that still need to be complied with here, which aren't required in any other country in the world, which adds cost to cars. So we're working with the government to try and reduce that cost for customers uh, and to try and get cars here in a more affordable manner. If we could pick up for all manufacturers what was going into Europe and the UK now, then it does save some money. and we'll, we'll continue those discussions down in Canberra.
2: Scott, this is not the last time we'd like to have you on the show. We, yeah. can, we can say that for, for <laughs> certain. <laughs> we would love to get you back on in the future because, as we say, things are evolving and we need to keep learning and keep sharing that knowledge with, with our listeners.
0: Yeah, happy to do it any time. It's, it's great. It's just, I mean, there's such amazing stuff happening and we've got some awesome cars coming. And, you know, wait till we start incorporating our end performance brand with our uh,
1: zero-emission vehicles. That's now going to be talking. a big eye opener. <laughs> there is Scott Naga from uh, Hyundai Australia. Thank you very much for joining us on this edition of What's Under the Bonnet.
2: If you're new to the podcast, thanks for coming along for the ride. One of the segments we have is dedicated to meeting a real-world EV owner. We call it Meet an ev and today's guest is a colleague of mine from car sales. Mark Cripsy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Now, you have a Kia EV6, but your car before that was... Not not really one of those cars we would traditionally come uh, on. What uh, was uh, it? traditionally associate <laughs> with the environmental?
4: Uh, <laughs> we've had a bit of a change, and we, we just got one car. I've got two pretty big kids as well, and uh, we've got we're a one car family. We had a Land Cruiser Prado, uh, so <laughs> big shift. <laughs> bit a bit of a shift in size, scale, and environmental impact as well. So um, yeah, huge lifestyle change.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're in the car business, so you understand buying and selling. But tell us about your journey to buying. The, I mean for starters, that there are not a lot around. Did you look at other EVs? What was that decision-making process like for you?
4: It did start from a place of wanting to make a bit of a difference to the environment. You know, we could debate the pros and cons, but there's no doubt it's a good thing to do. I think from an environmental perspective, that's where we started. But I'm not so green, but I would spend you know more money for a light for light car for a rubbish product. Right. Mm-hmm. And what's really uh, changed, I think, over the last year or so is access to great EVs in Australia, which mm. are just cool products and they're great products and they're desirable and we wanted them. So we were hooked in and getting on that EV journey. So that was that was one part of a story. The second part of the story is a little bit boring, a little bit practical, but you know, as you know, I'm pretty big. My kids, you know, I've got my jeans, they're pretty big as well. We went EV shopping. We couldn't fit in a backseat <laughs> of pretty much every EV on the market. We brought home a Tesla model Three and I'm not flexible enough to get in the back seat. My knees were around my, my ears, sort of thing. How tall are you? I'm six foot four, okay, and my probably. kids are sort of touching six foot. We just couldn't fit in any EV that we could afford in the market. So, fast forward to January this year. We're at the Australian Open. I think it's where Kia launched the EV6. I had them up on a stand outside Rod Laver, and there's a big queue to get in, and I just bypassed the queue and sat in the back seat. And the person <laughs> looked at me saying, why are you sitting in the back seat? He goes, look, I just need to know if I fit. I know I've done my research. You know, I've spoken to people. I want this car. All I need to know is can I fit? And I could fit and yeah. it's really comfortable. And that's where we've got BB6. Yeah.
1: Has the transition gone well? What have the learnings been from – I mean, it's seismic shift, really. Yeah.
4: yeah. So, I mean, we could talk a bit about charging. The biggest question most people have is how do you charge? We live in a city. We, we just about have access to do trickle charging, but we don't have a proper charger at home. So we've had to adapt our lifestyle somewhat to charge. I guess one good thing is with these, these modern cars, they go quite a long way. People think you need to charge every day. We charge probably once every seven or eight days. Oh, wow. So it's not something that you need to worry about overnight. And for people living in an apartment block or whatnot, and I speak to quite a few of them now, we've got a few in the office, they just adapt their lifestyle to find charging places. Mm. And uh, it's quite interesting because, you know, EVs are still not cheap, but you know, most conversations EV owners have is how little they have spent on their, their fuel since buying. I spoke to one person in my team last week we proudly said, I've done 2,500 kilometers already in my Model Y, and he got it in August. Yeah, wow. and he spent $14 so far <laughs> on fuel. <laughs> um, and yeah. and what we do is, and I haven't spent much more more myself. We use apps like PlugShare and stuff. We find where the charges are. We find particularly where the free charges are, and we make sure we go shopping, for example, on a weekend in a place where we can charge uh, conveniently and and for free. So my fuel bill. Uh, has gone down a lot. Uh, my IKEA bill has gone up a lot. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah,
1: we all adapt our lifestyle and and try and find a bit of free electricity where we can. And how big were the, was the drive from the kids? Not just your height uh, and you know in the in the purchase decision, but but often kids are really passionate about this stuff and they they you know their their want for parents to move into this space is a big Factor, and that was it? absolutely
4: a factor in our decision making, how much our kids wanted it. actually, when we got one on order, which we were lucky to even get one on order, but then there was a wait for it to come. You know, every morning it's like, you know, where are we? Where, where are we? <laughs> it's it here? It here. And I'm trying to sort of, you know, it's somewhere in Queen. I did ship it down from Queensland. It's somewhere there. It's on a lorry somewhere. It'll get, you know, and they're getting really frustrated because there's two things really driving them. One is, I think most people about generation they, they do care uh, a lot yes. about the environment. Secondly, they're one of the coolest things around. You know, mm. it's like if, if iPhones were cool 10 years ago, yeah. an EV is, is, is quite cool. I'm biased, but I think an EV6 or, or any dedicated EV, it stands out. You mm. know, people, people sort of knock on our window on the street, you know, put your window down a bit. And they, I just want to chat about it. And yeah. it's, it's no doubt it is it, really, really cool. What, and, what are they yeah.
2: asking you? Yeah, the, the window tappers.
4: Well, one of the interesting <laughs> things is this Kia looks amazing. And they say, is it really a Kia? Yes. It looks <laughs> yes. like, and I've got it's a beautiful kind of matte silver paint. It looks like, a, you know, you could put a German badge on it and yes. no one would bat an eyelid. So firstly, you know, it's a kind of, is it really a Kia? Uh, secondly, uh, you know, they just want to say, nice car, it look, looks awesome. And thirdly, they want to say, oh, how is it? You know, how is it actually is an EV? But it actually starts with, a, it looks cool. Mm. And that goes back to one of my points around the desirability of, of the new EVs coming here now. They actually look cool. The dedi- car's built on a dedicated EV mm. platform. It creates so much possibility for the designers to actually build something that looks a little bit different, that is different inside and outside. And it, and it, people talk about it, and it, it's quite interesting. The, the Kia shares a platform with the Hyundai, but they're very different looking kind of cars. Kia is quite slick and sleek. The uh, Hyundai Ionic Five is a bit kind of um, kind of Back to the Future sort of vibe. Yeah, it's a bit mm. a Cybertruck futuristic. sort of vibe yeah. in a way. But yeah, they get people talking.
2: We've talked a lot about uh, charging iPhones during this episode, but it is that same kind of thing, isn't it? Mm. You know if you want it, you will create the habits to make it happen.
4: Without any sort of negativity, not once as my family said, oh, you know, we've got to charge, right? Yeah. It's actually, how can we make a bit of adventure out of this? And, and we feel well, like we're doing something kind of good. i also come back to one of my other points. They're great to drive. They're great to be a passenger in. And you can do some cool things in them that you can't do in regular cars. So my car, for example, you can um, plug in a, a 240-volt appliance. Uh, there's a socket on the inside and there's also a socket on the outside. And, you know, it begs the question,
1: what cool things could you do, you know?
2: Or not so cool, as it turns out. Uh, we
1: have something. <laughs> We've got a little something coming up in the news, so stick around, that's very, very I, funny. I,
4: I thought I was pushing the boundaries <laughs> when I was <laughs> plugging in a coffee machine into into mine. I thought that was pretty no, cool, no, but no. I think I what think you might well, share.
2: well within the realms of what people might expect. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it has been super to... Talk about this with you, and we can tell the way that you have adapted to this, uh, and quite passionately, quite quickly.
4: I think there's one common thread for all EV owners. They're passionate about it. They become, even if they weren't to start with, they become almost evangelical yeah. about EVs. You uh, go to a charging spot where there's two or three cars charging. Everyone starts talking. It's a bit of a community. I wasn't like this before, but now I bore everyone to death and you're probably going to cut me off in a minute because we can go on about, (laughs) we can go on about these things forever. And, um, you know, they're they're good cars. They're making great cars. You look at, I mean, car sales people know more about this than I do, but the amount of innovation going on into EVs right now, all of the big manufacturers are putting probably their, their big money, their best people into a room building great cars. And, um, they're, great, they're just great
1: fun. We're going to leave Nadine at the helm here. Mark and I are off to uh, run a pie in the microwave in the back of the <laughs> chair. We'll, we'll talk to you but soon. Clearly, you don't need a hairdryer. <laughs> <laughs> Time for a little e news. You raised your eyebrows and I'm not talking about entertainment news. <laughs> <laughs> did you think get, I was gonna some, going to come forward with some celeb news or something? I'm talking about electric vehicle news. Hey, uh, people follow him on socials, I know, and I did see Elon having a cheeky little thing about ice vehicles like the steam train or something yeah. or other. <laughs> He is the
2: gift that keeps on giving me <laughs> <isn't he>? <laughs> <laughs> like, Just like, yeah, yeah, Twitter. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a whole other story there.
1: <laughs> exactly. Jeep. They've revealed an electrification strategy, but models and dates for Australia are kind of under wraps still, aren't they?
2: Yeah, yeah. They had a, a really big reveal over in Detroit, and it, I guess that's good news for everybody, the, the Icon reimagined. So the Jeep Recon has is, is sort of worked off the iconic Wrangler, and we expect it to be Rubicon, you know, trail rated. So that means, you know, it will be the EV off-road that goes everywhere, so... Yeah, and they released it. You know, a multitude of um, yeah, three, EVs wasn't it? going forward. So yeah. I think that, you know they've shown a, a real uh, focus on their EV strategy. And and if and when all of those models end up in Australia, it will be exciting times.
1: Cool cars. Uh, Nissan end of battery life strategy. This has come up a little bit even in this episode and um, others that we've done, hasn't it?
2: Yeah, I think as sort of EVs in that zero emissions discussion continues to fire up it now extends beyond product it's it's more about manufacturing people are looking at manufacturers to be more conscious of that and nissan has announced that it's using nine of its first generation leaf batteries to repurpose an energy storage system for its local casting plant and those will be charged by solar panels so it's really really is embracing you know what we hope that will be the end state in terms of you know reusing batteries i think There's a few myths around there that batteries just sit in the shed somewhere and it's terrible. So it's, you know, well done for Nissan to announcing this and, and doing what they can
1: and there's lots of work going on in this space and uh, as you quite rightly say kind of dispelling the myth that oh you know these things are stuck in a dealership somewhere and we can't do anything with them That that is absolutely changing. Great work to reuse them. Was that your dealership them. voice? What voice <laughs> <is> that? <laughs> no, hello to the dealers I wasn't trying to, I was meaning just people generally that don't necessarily understand no. Um, what about this one that caught your attention? The doc from Texas. <laughs> Perf- what's this? Performing a vasectomy?
2: Okay. This How is, the hell did okay. this end up in the All show? Right, this is one of my favorite news stories. Okay. So Rivian create EVs in the US. Most notably, they've got an electric ute, which is excellent. Anyway, long story short, a Texas urologist, stop laughing, a Texas urologist had planned to cancel his patient's procedure until a member of his staff joked about the fact that he could use his electric pickup as a power source. So the power went out mid-operation and He's quoted as saying he think this is probably I, I think you're on the money here, mate. Probably the world's first Rivian-powered vasectomy. <laughs> so they took yeah, this is giving a really good visual, isn't it? They they plugged in their equipment. To the Rivian, I'm I'm imagining, you know, through the window like you do, and he was saying that the electrocuterie was normal and the procedure went great. Well, I'm sure that the the person under the knife couldn't couldn't be more happy about that. So, Okay, it's it's the R1T is what they plugged into. It's got two 120-volt outlets in the bed of it. So, yeah, who knows? They thought it was going to be for camping and cooking uh, in the outback, but apparently it has other uses. I mean, it brings a whole new meaning of vehicle to load, doesn't it? Oh
1: my God. I'm laughing like mutley. Apologies, everybody. Um, And what the vision in my brain is, is of this poor patient lying in the back seat getting the procedure done. (laughs) First
2: first and last, I'm thinking, but who knows?
1: Hey, now, before we go on news, that is, you guys get to go and test, experience all sorts of different vehicles. Am I right? I think the boss, Mike Sinclair, might have a little something for us next month. Is he off overseas? Yeah, he is off overseas and
2: He's going to bring us a a sneaky exclusive, so stay tuned for some Sinkers news.
1: We love some audience participation in this show as well, so what about this? Listener mailbox. Mail this month comes from Terry, who asks kind of a million-dollar question. He says, presently, one of my cars is a 2019 Hyundai Tucson Highlander. I'm happy as a pig and you know what. Well, a pig pen. Other car is a 2017 MX5. Loves it. I'm of the opinion that it is, this is what Terry's saying, a long way to go in Australia for the general acceptance by the public of electric vehicles, particularly the likes of myself, who travel a lot to the outback places and around our great land at the moment with limited charging stations. Now, the question is, I don't wish to be left high and dry, so to speak, with a car that becomes worthless by hanging on to it for too long prior to upgrading. What incentives, if any, will governments offer to encourage changeover, and he wants to kind of get our appraisal, if you will, as to when to bite the bullet and upgrade without losing a substantial amount on the almighty dollar.
2: It's a tricky question, isn't it? And it really is the million dollar <laughs> question. And it's, and it's one we get asked all the time. It's like, when should I change to an EV? What is that tipping point? And in fact, you know, the answer really, really does come back to uh, your lifestyle. All new cars are imported into Australia and that's unlikely to change given Local manufacturing sources and so on. Uh, So for many brands, they're committed to moving to 100% EV. The changeover will probably be around 2030, and at that point, they'll only offer EVs going forward. We see people like Toyota, maybe Mazda, and some of the Korean brands. They are still hanging on to hybrid powertrains and petrol a little bit more. So that changeover that could be blurred. But for the most part, it's about the right time to change over will really be related to your usage and the vehicle that you want.
1: If you've got a question like Terry, fire it at us. You can type it if you want to. I'm terrible at uh, (laughs) trying to paraphrase those (laughs) conversations. Podcast at carsales.com.au. But what's easier is if you record a voice memo on your mobile phone. Just give us, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds worth of audio. You can email that in really easily. You know, g'day, it's Rusty here from wherever. And my question is such and such. It's really simple. We'd love to have you on the show. Nadine, our next guest is the CEO and co-founder of Rove. For more than 20 years, Noah Wasmer has held leadership positions in software companies that people listening would know, like Atlassian, Apple, and more. And Noah is one of those people who is determined to sustainably remove millions of tonnes of CO2 emissions by accelerating transport electrification and renewable energy uptake. So this will be a, a fascinating conversation.
2: One of those but We talk about like that. that's a normal thing, don't we? It's one of those people.
5: <laughs> but in a good way, Noah, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is uh, definitely one of those exciting times where transport and energy come fully together. So, yeah.
1: Converting utes to EVs. You immediately have the attention of lots of Aussies. Utes are an Aussie dream. Tell us more.
5: Oh, you know, you're not kidding. This uh, this country, one, you know, just so exciting to see, you know, just recently the change in, in government and just this new emphasis on hey, there is a, a better plan that we can get to. But obviously, Australians, myself included, love utes, right? We we are a country that's constantly in development. We're constantly in motion. We love them for for work, for play, for getting out into the outback. We need, we need utes. And one of the things that we have a challenge with is electric utes, right? Can we get that supply and that demand met?
2: Yeah, absolutely. But first, let's take a step back. I, mean, I know you and your co-founders have strong tech and software engineering backgrounds, but I also know that you're a bit of a car guy. So tell me a little bit about that and how Rove came to be.
5: Yeah, so you know, as you you mentioned, um, you know, we have a long history in software. But we've been working, you know, the last twenty plus years. I won't date myself in in, in big tech and <laughs> cloud tech, building big, resilient, strong cloud systems. And you know, one of the things that you'll hear from a lot of OEMs is that more and more of the vehicle is becoming software, right? Features and capabilities and now especially as this transition to electric, it's about chemistry coming together with software, right. And so we see there is a, a, a good a good synergy there. But you know we also have a team that's full of of auto, right and, and some of the best auto and that's again where Australia, Has just this incredible amount of talent right with holden and ford and the history here right this is one of the best car producing nations in the country i think we often don't compliment ourselves enough on on that but there is just an incredible rich history here so we really saw this confluence of bringing together great auto minds and software minds together you know um really do tap into a a strong potential My, my family comes from detroit so you know not going into auto would be uh, sacrilegious for my family. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to be jumping in.
1: I'm glad you've made that point too in relation to our rich wealth, if you like, of, of particularly young people that are still in the automotive space, despite the change to our landscape in the last kind of 10 years. And it's great that we are utilising that with some of this this new stuff you're talking about. Noah, today's kind of focus is batteries on this this episode and, and maybe helping educate some people. And for those that are familiar with EVs, helping them learn a little bit more, can we talk please um, lithium ion phosphate batteries and capacity, I think, of at least 100 kilowatt and so on?
5: Yeah. So, so you know, it's a great focus because a lot of the, the cost in producing these vehicles and a lot of the heart and soul of these vehicles is is the battery, right? The chemistry really matters, right? One, one of the things that's fun and challenging about electric vehicles is you have physics, energy physics, how you move electrons around. You have chemistry and how you store that energy. You have software and orchestration of that. And then as well, the hardcore engineering, manufacturing, you know, moving metal and bolting metal together in a in a good strong fashion. When you you mentioned the different chemistries, there is just a host of changes that are happening. Everything from lithium ion all the way through to, you probably heard the term LFP, right? The that we're doing lithium iron phosphate. These different technologies are really helping to reshape how we think about electric vehicles. Lithium ion again has really some good density, meaning that we can put a lot of torque and, and, and speed inside of lithium ion, but LFP is also now this lithium iron phosphate is also now showing some really good dynamics in terms of both potential as well as uh, the number of recharge cycles, right? That you can use it again and again for a very, very long lifetime. So there's different different capabilities and they all have different chemistry.
2: No, one of the things that we are not so patiently waiting for in Australia <laughs> is for the cost of EVs to come down. And the one thing that uh, it keeps coming back to is talking about the cost of the battery is the one thing that is really limiting that. Talk to me about battery development and when... Do we think that we're going to get more of an even field in terms of that?
5: Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a. There's several different factors there. First and foremost, I think you're you're seeing that a lot of other countries are putting together emission standards and, and putting uh, some policies in place that encourage the OEMs to come into country. We we need to do that, right? And and uh, I think the government has worked recently at an EV summit to introduce that we're putting out a white paper, or they're putting out a white paper to talk about some of these emission standards that could really entice OEMs to deliver their vehicles here. From Rose's perspective, while, while we're building an electric ute, we know that the problem is so big, right, that we want to see all kinds of OEMs delivering to Australia these, these electric vehicles. Uh, but the other thing you're saying is that one of the things that's most exciting about Australia is that we have the minerals here in country. I, can't, I mean, I can't say this enough, right? Over 50% yeah. of the world's lithium is sitting in Australia. Today, you know, we're exporting raw material, that you're only getting about like one or two percent of the value of that material right if we could create cells here in country and again i'm super passionate about that if we could do that we're talking jobs we're talking mining jobs we're talking just a really an entire new ecosystem that these are going to be in demand for decades we could be one of the the lowest footprint cell in the world here in australia we have the the opportunity to make a massive difference it's just so exciting, right? But we, we've got to create that catalyst to really ignite this.
2: I love that you talk about we've got the potential for a new ecosystem here Great. because the topics of things like vehicle to uh, home, vehicle to load, you know, grid to home, and you talk about this full bidirectional charging solution. I think – you know, for novices listening and and for, <laughs> let's admit, Rusty, you and I. Uh, <laughs> can you just talk us through a little bit more of that and the reality, like what does that look like for the average consumer?
5: So so first and foremost, I think, as you know, Australia has done a phenomenal job with solar, right? Solar is a great generation technology, right? And we're, we're I think, leading in the world, right? 25% or more of our homes have solar. In fact, we're creating so much solar capacity that we have to off-bolt right? It actually costs money to get rid of all of this free energy that we're creating. So what we need to do is store it, right? We need to store that so that 6 to 8 p.m. when solar's, when the sun's gone down, that we're using that renewable storage. Now your traditional battery wall, right, that's just sitting in your house is usually 7 to 13 kilowatt hours, right? Which which your vehicle is 70 to 100 kilowatt hours. It's 10 times larger, right? And if you're just doing, on average, Australians are doing about 27 kilometers a day, you're using like 2% of -hmm. that battery Mm -hmm. pack, right? So imagine that if you could literally off-volt, get paid to absorb the sun, right, put it in the vehicle, and then at those peak times when the rates are the most expensive, you're actually going back into the grid. That's what we call arbitrage, where you can actually Earn money for the the home consumer. You can earn money for depots and the fleet scenarios, right? You can lower the cost of these electric vehicles dramatically by by using that that storage that stored up renewable energy in the vehicle. But but you know, think about it in in different ways. The first thing we can do create an electric vehicle that can do what we call vehicle to load, right? Can you imagine going out in this like? Great, hardcore ute and be plug your plug your tools, your, you know, all your, what do you call them here, whippersnippers, right? They <laughs> plug in directly to the car. You can think about all those different use cases off of that battery. But then you also can create resilience for your home, powers out in the home, plug in your vehicle, right? And take that a step further and how do you actually contribute to what we call the low-voltage network. Where you're you're actually participating in in the grid, you're integrated into the grid to actually help stabilize the overall system.
2: You, you went to market talking about the conversion of a Toyota Hilux. Talk to us about what that process is, and and you're commencing with fleets, and is is it going to trickle down to you know average consumers? How do people get on board with converting their ICE vehicle to EV?
5: I'll tell you where it all started. It was I live in Sunshine Coast, and I would run down to M one, and one day it just hit me like a brick that when you watch the road going by, right, it's, you, 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 (laughs) I mean, it's just a constant, right, flow of, of utes going down the road. You know this as well as anybody, 220,000 utes sold a year, right? That's just, just new vehicles.
2: Outselling passenger cars. Outselling passenger
5: cars, right? Over a million uh, utes that are in the, in the less than five years old out there, right, that could be really good candidates for conversion. And so, you know, when we think about scale and impact, you know, we, we have to stop thinking about it as like, hey, we have a bay that we can park a park a Hilux and convert it out, and we'll do one, and then we'll do the next, and we'll do the next. We have to think about it in hundreds, thousands, if not tens of thousands of vehicles. And so we set our goal to say, hey, we've got to do 1,000 vehicles in the next 12 months. Now, at 1,000 vehicles in 12 months, it's a huge challenge. We have to think about series production, right? We have to think about, hey, it's just this Hilux 4x4. It's just... sets of parameters these years you know that we have to be very very focused and then say we're going to have a prefabricated wiring harness right that that we can take the motor out in these three steps in less than four hours we can have the battery boxes configured and built up that they plug in in three steps that the wiring harness goes exactly the same way we can qa it right that it moves down a series process of development that's how we get these costs down starting with the fleets they have hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of the same Hilux, of the same Ranger, right? So that we can go to them and say, this is all we're offering. Do you, do you want, you know, you want five, you want 10, you want 100. They're just going to look like this and smell like this on this first version. And, but if you bet on us and work with us, you know, hopefully we'll have, you know, versions two, three, and four down the line.
1: You've kind of gone there in your answer, but but just in talking about scale, Rove is, is planning kind of... Uh, micro factories which which i think you are very confident can operate profitably on on a relatively low annual number aren't you in terms of, of uh, a vehicle
5: yeah that, that's spot on i mean you know one of the things when people think you know like who goes out and says i'm going to build a car company <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's, a big, it's a it's a big thing to go you know and but uh we just we we really see that uh, again it's a catalyst and when people think car company they think oh well you know, Ford is spending $50 billion on their electric vehicle plants. And what they're comparing, though, is that these are, are OEMs that are building for hundreds of thousands of vehicles annually, right? It's like Apple building iPhone, right? They don't build it for onesies, twosies at a time, right? They build it for these lines of, of, of millions. What we found, and, and others are proving this out, is that you can take a, you know, a 150-person factory that's a reasonable size, like about an acre in size, that – that you, and, and one shift in the eight hour shift that you can produce 10,000 vehicles per annum. Right. And when you think about that, this is a, you know, it, it's not that expensive. You, you want to go up to 30,000, do three shifts, mm. right? Yeah. Hey, if you want to go do 60,000, create two plants. Now if we have the problem where we want to build millions, we've built the wrong thing. Right. I'll, I'll tell you that for sure. Right. If, if they're like, Hey, we want millions of these vehicles, we should have done what uh, you know, the big OEMs have done. But right now we think we can build the right car, for this country, we can, you know, start with utes, move on to SUVs. We can do, you know, we can continue to scale out that way. It's, it's exciting.
1: Where do you and your partners see Rove in, say, five years' time?
5: Oh, man. Uh, you know, the first thing I would say is I believe it's an ecosystem, right? Like, I, I think, again, we're trying to catalyze an entire ecosystem. When you look at creating something like, especially in this country that loves utes so much, think about – that it's, it's not just about the vehicle itself, but there's there's service, there's support, there's accessories, right? We we love to accessorize. The, the, there's huge markets and accessories. There's the grid integration pieces. There's aftermarket. There's racing. There's, there's a whole series of companies around us. If we can create an environment that says we should be manufacturing here again, and with deglobalization happening, again, we could be a great catalyst for that. That's what I think would be a hallmark of success is not only is – rove creating great vehicles that people love and, and you know we're on to our next versions but there are 10 to 20 other businesses around us that are, are equally seeing this, this profitability and seeing this growth and, and we, we're setting on good footing for the next the next decade
2: so correct me if i've misread this so in five years we're going to have a rove electric u- racing series
5: <laughs> <laughs> is that what you said absolutely i mean like what, what uh, you know uh yeah ho- hopefully i'm just even getting more australians excited about this but the uh you know racing obviously a lot of times pushes the boundaries and, and it's, it's kind of like how the military often has created technology that has helped consumers we also think racing actually pushes the boundaries of what can be done in auto i'd love to see off-road racing series uh you know the second life for some of these vehicles i'm sure it'll be r- really fun
1: before we let you go, um, quickly, how do businesses get in touch if they're committed to switching their fleet, if they're thinking about this sort of stuff?
5: Yeah, as you mentioned, rove.com, R-O-E-V.com. One of the links is around a fleet partner program. So what, again, we're starting just initially with fleets to try to really get the volume up there to bring the price points down so that it can help really make this affordable for consumers. That would be the best place to start. And, you know, always hello at rove.com, you'll, you'll reach me directly and, uh, and we'll, um, we'll certainly be as quick as we can to respond. Um, so, so please reach out.
1: Well done for championing stuff around local industry. Thank you for preserving the great Aussie ute into the next generation. I reckon <laughs> that is that is just yeah. superb. And it's been awesome to chat with you, mate. We could do it. And I'm sure we will do it again uh, on what's under the bonnet at some stage. Noah Wazma, thanks again.
5: Thank you for having me. Have a great day.
1: We've got to go. Today has been superb from a guest, a learning point of view. Gee, it's been awesome, hasn't it? I
2: just loved talking to our guests. I really didn't want it to end and I guarantee we really need to get Scott and Noah back on the program.
1: Most definitely. What's on the radar? I think EV affordability next month?
2: Yeah, I think it's another really big question. You know, what does it really cost to buy, run, servicing and ownership costs, which is a really important thing for people to think of regardless of what car they buy. So we want to give people the whole picture.
1: So if you've got a question in relation to that, why don't you email us podcast at carsales.com.au and as we said a little earlier, you can do that with a simple voice memo on your phone. Give us maybe 20, 30 seconds of audio with your question where you're from who you are send it in and we'll try and tackle that for you and maybe if you've got something that's spawn out of the conversations today from the likes of Scott or Noah or our meet and Evia, for example send those in too and for all the latest news the place to go carsales.com.au forward slash electric it is our electric vehicle hub Nadine enjoy that Taycan I am about to steal it you know that don't you and take it for a
2: run I'm out of here okay bye bye <laughs>
1: listener production